Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, uh, we're going to talk to our guest, who is Anglo-German, in just a moment about this. I'll just ask them to hold on for a second, because what we're actually getting at in this segment is energy security. And in this country and in Europe, now the German and the French governments have informed citizens they should reduce energy slash electricity consumption because supply is reduced. Renewables fail to meet requirements. I did a little research this morning and uh, in the first six months of 2021, according to the German national broadcaster, burning coal, get this now, burning coal increased and accounted for 27% of Germany's electricity supply. That's in the first six months of 2021. Wind provided 22%, down from 29% in 2020, and they blamed it on a lack of wind. So there's been a lot of talk about this. Renewables are fine if the renewables are renewing. But Germany's saying that in the first months of last year, there just wasn't enough wind to store energy. So 27% of their electricity supply was uh, created by burning coal. Katja Hoyer is Anglo-German. She's a historian. She's an opinions columnist. And uh, her book is Blood and Iron, The Rise and Fall of the German Empire, 1871 to 1918. Katja, good to have you back with us. How are you? Hello, I'm fine at the moment still. <laughs> Just waiting for the prices to rise, as you say. That is, uh, I mean, I sat straight up. I had no idea that was coming from uh, Professor Charlebois. And given the the world we're living in and the concerns we have about energy and, and food security, when I heard that 20 to 50 percent increase in a very, um, you know, uh, consumer oriented society like Germany, that's that's massive. What exactly have they said? What did the German government say about that? Well, they're trying to play it cool at the moment in terms of just reassuring people that there won't be shortages and it'll be fine. Things will get more expensive, but it won't lead to um, empty shelves, basically, and people not being able to, to heat their homes. Um, but they've also advised people, not just from a um, kind of economic point of view, but also in terms of the very real possibility of, of outright war now, you know, creeping further into Europe. Um, to actually store food, not to sort of hamster and panic buy, but to to make sure that you have uh, 10 days worth, they recommend, um, kind of supplies at home in terms of drinking water um, and and kind of non-perishable foods like pasta and stuff like that. So it's certainly, they, they've uh, certainly sharpened their tone a little bit on that. How's that going over with the people in Germany? Um, I think it's not really sunk in yet because these things obviously take a little while to, you know, from the predictions to actually hit the the shelves where people are really feeling it is energy prices and fuel um, because that's that's pretty much been an immediate um, sharp increase. Um, but there's certainly a sense that the the things that we sort of take for granted and that we got used to over the you know last few decades really um, over the course of the 20th century um, aren't actually you know, kind of sort of set in stone, they're not going to always be there necessarily. And I think that's beginning to disconcert a lot of people. Dan McTagg, president and founder of Canadians for Affordable Energy, uh, blog piece on the website one week into the 25% carbon tax increase and the hurt keeps building. 
So, uh, Dan, where are we headed? Let's just talk about energy here, because that's your that's your area of expertise. Where are we headed? If the Germans are looking at twenty to fifty percent um, on shelves, food shelves, and, and you know, out in the broader society like fuel, they're already massively uh, expensive over in, in in much of Europe. Where are we headed? Particularly when the prime minister says he wants to see oil and gas emissions drop by forty two percent over the next eight years. Well, look, uh, Katya may be better speaking at this than I would, but uh, about 100 years ago, two German scientists uh, came up with the ability to uh, use nitrogen on a uh, an industrial scale. It was known as the Haber-Bosch uh, invention. They got Nobel Prizes for it. You were able to take natural gas, turn it into nitrogen, and nitrogen doubled the amount of food output. Uh, Europe has painted itself into a corner. It has uh, basically become reliant, continues even to today, to be reliant on Russia for its natural gas. And of course, uh, um, combined with pipeline uh, and export terminal shortages and blocking uh, through regulation, both in Europe and here, uh, Canada can't come necessarily quickly to the rescue of, uh, of Europeans who desperately need to get away from Vladimir Putin's uh, products. And that's really why we're, uh, you know, the esteemed Dr. Shalovois was able to point out that uh, Germany is going to face a substantial food increase. We are going to see it here, not to the same extent, obviously. And as he pointed out, there will be some shortages, Roy. Uh, But look, um, I've been ringing this bell since last September, and I said the price increase would be closer to 30% for most Canadians this year as a result of the rise in fuel. It's not just natural gas. It's diesel. Out of diesel, we produce a product synthetic called urea. And that, of course, is in also very short supply. Diesel uh, global supplies are uh, almost 25% below the five-year average. What it really means is that we're heading very quickly to a fuel energy crisis and now a food crisis. If that weren't made any easier uh, by what's happened with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we have One to consider inflation overall. One of the things that uh, Professor Charlevoix talked about, Dan, was that in the 304-page federal budget released on Thursday, there wasn't mm-hmm. anything that was dedicated specifically Nothing. to food security. It was mentioned, food was mentioned in various parts of the budget, but there wasn't a specific area that dealt with uh, with food and food security. And yep. clearly we know that food security is an international issue. Let me ask you this question really quickly, then I have to take a break and I'll come back yep. to both of you. What are you looking at realistically? Where do you expect, because you're very good at this, where do you expect the price of fuel to go? Gasoline, diesel, for the individual consumer, but it's also going to affect us when we go to the store because the uh, you know the commercial transport organizations have to pay more for their fuel. It's going to be passed on to the consumer. Where are we headed? $150 oil, Roy, uh, is where we're heading, like it or not. Weaker when? Canadian dollar doesn't help. When? And, of course, that really does have an effect on food price inflation, wow. which I add is the cruelest form of tax on, on the poor. When, Dan? When does, when does it hit 150? This summer. summer. It's coming. And, you know, just because the IEA, the International Energy Agency, and Biden have decided to flood the world with emergency supplies of oil to contain price, not product, not to address the supply shortage, makes this uh, accelerates this probability even greater and so uh you know we're now at a situation in this world where uh, we things have become a lot more precarious we've got a bit of a break right now uh you ain't seen nothing yet it's just so much fun to hear all this optimistic news it's just <laughs> so exciting the voice of doom <laughs> Katja, let's come back to the issue um in germany so what is the reality the energy reality 
in Germany. Has that Nord Stream pipeline been shut off? Is Russian oil and natural gas getting to Germany at all? Well, they um, have now basically put the, the the Nord Stream 2, the second pipeline, on ice. Um, that's not to say it's it's cancelled forever, but it's certainly at the moment looking as though that is not going to uh, be opened as planned. That was nearly complete um, and was supposed to be open. But Nord Stream 1, um, the original pipeline is still going. So Germany is still importing gas and international from Russia and international uh, pressures mounting there. I mean, it used to be two thirds of Germany's um, natural gas that came from Russia and they've managed to get it down to 40%, but it's obviously still a lot of money that is going into Putin's uh, war chest as a result. Um, they have now within the EU um, decided that there's going to be a coal um, embargo against Russia. So they, they stop importing coal, which is also, you know, as you said earlier, basically been one of the uh, sources of energy on which Germany was falling back whenever renewables weren't quite delivering delivering what they what they should. Um, and so that's going to be difficult for Germany as well, because it also imports uh, half of its coal from from Russia, and that's now definitely going to stop. So they're scrambling at the moment to try and find um, sources of, of LNG, basically, from abroad. Um, as you just said, it's difficult to, to do because, like Canada, other countries are also not necessarily in a position to deliver more than, than they already do. So um, it's, it's tricky. And at the same time, they're switching their last nuclear reactors off. There's only three left in Germany in any case. Um, and they were supposed to be switched off by the end of this year. And at the moment, they're still going to. So who knows where the energy is going to come from? You know, given the fact that Germany is in difficult times, I was going to say dire straits, but let's say difficult times with energy, does it even begin to make sense to shut down those remaining nuclear reactors? Wouldn't it make sense to fire up the other ones that have been shut down? It's entirely, in my opinion, entirely an ideological decision because you've now got a government where the Greens are um, included in that and the German Greens in the 1980s were founded on their opposition, that's kind of their raison d'etre on their opposition to um, nuclear uh, technology on the whole. There's kind of in Germany, there's this conflation um, because of you know, the Cold War and the situation that Germany was in um, then um, of uh, kind of nuclear technology in terms of its peaceful use and its use in, in terms of arms and weaponry. And, and because of that, um, the Greens have kind of got this half pacifist, half uh, kind of environmentalist uh, opposition towards nuclear energy and are, are sort of hell bent to close it all down um, by the end of this year. And this was long carried by Angela Merkel as well, the previous chancellor, um, who is not obviously a green politician, but has also um, seen the Cold War basically from an East German perspective and has also therefore got personal animosity towards nuclear technology. So that's um, an ideologically driven process that I'm not entirely sure is going to be halted out of rational reasons. Okay, so and the well-being of the people be damned? Pretty much, <laughs> if it's in the name of, uh, you know, the, the sort of nuclear exit, as it were. I mean, the opposition are very vocally calling for a continuation of the of the, at least the last uh, three. They're still at the moment supplying 10 million households in Germany, even though, you know, there's only three left. Um, so, but they're still making a a contribution that is worth keeping, um, in my view. I think it was 11% um, last year that nuclear um, energy still contributed to the overall energy use. So it's Mr. Schultz, right? He's the chancellor now, yes? Yeah. Would you let yes. him know that we'd like to send him some natural gas, but we can't. But we have it. We just can't send it. 
or we have it. Maybe you could come and get it. I'm not sure. But <laughs> I, I'm not, look, sometimes you just have to reach for the funny bone for a moment. Let me just ask you this. Uh, what is it costing the average German or the European citizen now to purchase the energy they require to keep their homes um, warm, to purchase food, uh, to keep the grocery stores going, to keep the vehicles on the road? What's it costing? Is there a, is there a percentage or is there a, a figure that we can sort of translate into dollars? What's, what's a gallon or a liter of gasoline cost? Oh, good question. Um, because it, it constantly goes up. So today in the UK, um, I looked at the at the petrol pump and it was one pound sixty seven per liter of, of of petrol of gas. So that's probably what around two Canadian dollars, I would imagine, something like that, uh, for a liter. Um, so I don't know what we make that in in gallons. We're, we're right there with you. We're, we're um, right there with you. In some parts of Canada, it's even more than that. Mister McTagg, yeah. speak up. <laughs> Three and a half uh, dollars a liter is what it works out to Canadian. Uh, if there's um, one uh, 1.4 per pound, uh, 1.4 Canadian dollars, uh, that uh, the remind you know, of course, the US would be a little different. Yeah, it works out to about 325, 330 a liter uh, in in Britain. Uh, we're not quite near near there. I hope we don't. Do they ever uh, stop maybe. to think about how much disposable income people have? You know, uh, it's, the government's a trillion dollars in debt, federal government. Do they ever stop to think how much money people actually have to spend on food, to spend on fuel, to spend on clothing, to spend on medicine? And oh, you can talk about your pharmacare and your dental, dental care programs. Show me. But do they ever stop to think? You were in government. Is there, is there any thinking that goes on in a caucus meeting or is it just rah-rah stuff? I'd have to say the uh, much of it is rah-rah without any uh, due consideration to uh, the ultimate payer. And the irony, of course, for a country like ours, blessed with the third largest resources uh, when it comes to natural gas and oil in the world, provable, um, you know, you don't have to go very far. The United States went through this transition, uh, being a laggard, having to rely on the rest of the world, decided to uh, develop new technologies, frack their natural gas, and became the second largest exporter of natural gas in the world. Uh, it doesn't take much to be able to tell people how important energy security is, because it really does lead to global security. And you don't need to go any further than to realize what's happening in, uh, in Europe right now as a result of Russia, funding Russia's war against the Ukraine comes directly as a result of our uh, mindset, uh, very narrow-minded to believe that somehow, uh, you know, the just transition or the changeover uh, can lead to energy prices that uh, uh, that are somehow fathomable and, and and affordable for most. Unfortunately, the consequences are, are going to require a deep change in the way in which we're thinking about energy. We can't take it for granted any longer, especially here in Canada. We seem to be going down this very, very dark uh, and very dangerous, and very painful path. We have a few seconds. Gotcha. I want to go back to something that you said at the beginning, and that is the German people are being told what? That they need to at least consider the possibility of the war extending into Europe proper? Yeah, it's because of uh, obviously Putin's, you know, threats, basically, that he's put um you know, nuclear missiles on alert. Um, the other problem is that he stationed um, a missile system uh, quite a while ago, I think it was in 2016, um, in Kaliningrad, which is sort of like a Russian enclave far to the to the west in the, in the Baltics. And the range okay. of that, Berlin is in range of, of these uh, missiles, and they are both nuclear capable and, uh, you know, capable to carry kind of conventional um, 
missiles as well. So there is a very real chance that if you know Putin isn't going for the full-on nuclear option, that Berlin is still well in reach within you know sort of conventional okay. weapons as well that you station there. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 